Blog Talk Radio. Fabulous. I love hearing that. It's a part of the Tuesday routine here at Blog Talk Radio and the K Factor, where K equals kindness and the factors are all the things that lead to it. And I'm Dr. Deb Carlin, your host, and I'm here with my my host, my co-host, Mr. Richard Flint. Good morning, Richard. How are you today? I am absolutely superb, Miss Deb. I've had a good morning. I've been up uh, since, uh, what, 3.15 this morning? And I've been uh, busy being creative. My mind woke me up this morning with some creativity. Um, really getting ready for my question and answer time on Friday morning where we're going to talk about what does family mean to you. Uh. That's, a, that's a big topic with me because when people ask me, you know, in your life, was there anything that you've missed? And I can tell them, uh, family, because yeah. you never had family. Yeah. And having to sit down and rethink what not having family in your life does to you mentally, yep. emotionally, and spiritually. And so I'm really excited because I've gotten some emails uh, answering to the question because I get a lot of people who email me. You've even done that. Yeah. And, uh, and I read the emails on the air. Yeah. Really interesting emails about what does family mean to you. Right. Yeah. It is a huge topic. And I think especially right now, um, with the way that the world is so uncertain, some families have really banded together and been very supportive. And I and I love watching that unity and that love and that that friendship across the members of the family. And then other families, you know, they've really they've gone to war, you know, they they have different opinions. And I think to myself, you know, it's so foolish. It's so foolish when, when people do that. Um, I'm, I'm distant from uh, some of my family. And I think to myself, you know, that's really it's the way it is. It's too bad. And so for me, my family is the people, it's not really family. It's not bloodlines. But if a family is a core of people that you know, like love and trust, and you have one another's back, so to speak, and you shoulder up life events together, that's pretty amazing. Well, I, I think for me, Deb, and for a lot of the people that I'm talking to right now, mm-hmm. uh, this is a real time of testing for their life. Yes, it is. Because any time you take us out of our comfortable routine and, you know, we've got to look at our lives from the eyes of fear. Yeah. If you take me out of my comfortable routine, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at things through fear. Take away comfort and you create fear. Yeah. Take away routine and you create fear. Right. And. I'm just seeing so many people right now, so many conversations I'm having with people right now uh, is all about how uncomfortable they are with uh, the the lack of consistency in their life. Yeah, I I agree. It, it is it has been it has been um, a, a tumultuous time in history for more than a year now, and. Um, it's uh it's exhausting you know it was, it's interesting because just <laughs> changing my routine over the last week to travel by car to go to do some business and had my my week 
altered as much as I enjoyed it, it, it threw me off. So I had to, you know, come back in here and, and, and recalibrate and it was exhausting and I'm not, and I'm not used to that. I'm not used to being exhausted by a no big deal, you know, event like that. Well, you know, anytime we're taken out of the comfortable routine for our life, mm-hmm. uh, it shakes us up. And, you know, we look at our life and we go, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, they can't answer that question. I know. And so what happens? They become frozen in time. And every day they get up without a purpose, mm-hmm. without an agenda, and without a plan. Right. And so there, there really are. I mean, there's so much about it. And, and, and I guess, you know, I know you and I know me, we find this interesting. There's so much to learn about the human personality when they're out of sync. Yeah, that's true. Because they, bec- they become a different personality. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, you and I have talked about this. I believe that every one of us are two things. We're a person, which is what I see. Yep. I see Deb the person. But we're also a personality, and that's what I experience. Now, I, I, I can be very comfortable with the person, what I'm looking at, as long as that personality is consistent. Mm-hmm. But if that personality uh, changes, uh, and you're no longer the person that I'm used to being around, then all of a sudden there is conflict. There's right. confusion. Right. That's what I see happening with people today. They're they're so out of sync because their routines have been um, shaken up, and they don't really know how to make the adjustments because adjustments mean change. You know what's really interesting to me is um, I have I, I think I have an interesting balance of people in my world because half the people are really thrown off and are and are really dialed into. You know, I don't know what to expect next. Our our country is in flux. The world is in is in an odd state, and it seems like you know the world has been on lockdown, and and people are wondering what's going to happen next, and how are we going to be, and are we going to be healthy? And then the, the other people, they're just like they're doing the regular thing, and they're going through it, and you know, like in a in a in a in a quiet moment, I'll say, "How are you doing?" Oh, fine. So do you feel like you're concerned about anything? Well, yeah, but you know, it's just going on. And I think to myself, I'm really glad that I have the balance because the one thing that I find myself doing is I'm engaging in my daily routines. I feel significantly more tired each day, which is kind of interesting, but, and I'm making plans, making plans for the future (laughs) in a really big way. But then I'm sitting here thinking, I, you know, questioning, you know, my plans and, well, you know, like I'm not really sure if I should plan this or that or the other thing. And it just feels really strange. So that's disconcerting. But you know what? One of the things that I had I had thought about in terms of what we wanted to talk about today was the topic of hope. And I love that, that saying that hope springs eternal because if we allow – you know, this, this mind of ours is this beautiful uh, reality that we live inside of in conjunction and synchrony if we're healthy with our heart. So we, we have the capacity for anything and everything 
inside of our mind. And so when hope, when hope springs eternal, uh, my heart elicits all kinds of wonder and love and beauty and, and possibilities and actualities. And my mind says, okay, you know, that's good. I like that. I'm hopeful about anything and everything. It, it goes back to foundation. Yes, it does. What's the foundation of your life? If I'm building my foundation on my doubt, my worry, and my uncertainty, then hope becomes scarce. Right. Because I'm living the motions up. But if my if my foundation is based upon my belief, my trust, and my faith, then hope is strengthened. Because when you put belief, trust, and faith together, you get confidence. Mm-hmm. And hope needs internal belief, trust, and faith mm-hmm. in order to remain strong. And one of the things I've learned over the years is that the human spirit is really resilient. Very. But resilience is based on which foundation you're standing on. If I'm living in that world where I doubt, <laughs> I'm worried, I'm uncertain, then when, when life changes, it frightens me. Right. But if I'm living with belief, trust, and faith, and life changes, I, I, I make the adjustments. And the challenge I feel with most people is that they have a, they have a, I think the word difficult is right. Uh, They have a difficult time making the adjustments. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've had to adjust your life. Yeah, you know, and and it's interesting because quite frankly, I feel like my entire life has been about making adjustments. Um. It, and and thank goodness I grew up with so much stability, mom and dad and sister and brother, uh, grandmother who was there for the beginning of my life, uh, relatives that were around, a stable neighborhood, a very, I mean, I was in the same house from the time I was born until I left home um, when I was in my my late teens. And, and then it's been crafting my life ever since. And looking at the ways in which um, creating stability means where my heart is, where I'm physically placed, where my mind is in the midst of that. Because you can be in, in, a, in a safe dwelling, but if your mind isn't safe in the dwelling of your, of your brain, of your head, and if your heart is out of sync, then everything falls apart. So we really, every time I think about well-being and hope and peace and 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 health, I always think of it holistically. Because if we have, like you're saying, one piece of it, if we're not in our foundational space, secure, then nothing really fits. I mean, it's pretty much like, I think we talked about the experience of being in an earthquake. When the ground shifts underneath your feet, Everything gets shaken up. The pictures on the wall get crooked. Maybe the the building collapses around you. It's very unsettling. We as human beings like stability. It's just like with personalities. The the most undesirable personality characteristic is volatility. You know, we want to know when we walk in the room, when we come into the Zoom space, we meet with consistency. I know who you are. You know who I am. We know how we're going to behave. 
And, you know, there might be something that's going on that throws us off, but we know that we're going to go face to face, deep to deep, mind to mind, heart to heart, and, and have an encounter that's going to be um, loving and productive and respectful. Neither one of us is going to be, you know, something really unpredictable. So we want predictability in life. And the thing that I found too is that when you have, when you have hope, yes, you have a sense of calmness in the midst of the earthquake. Absolutely. And when you have hope, you have calmness or you have clarity in the midst of the uncertainty. Because what hope does is it allows us the ability, the ability to see beyond the moment that we're standing in. If if I you know, if I can't see beyond the moment I'm standing in, then there is fright that goes with that because I feel trapped. But with hope, it, it like, it's like, it, it, you know, I'm standing here and, and it pulls the curtains back. Right. I can see beyond this moment. And what I'm seeing is I'm seeing possibility. Right. And hope needs possibility. So one thing that's a caveat in the midst of that, and I think that this is really interesting that we've landed exactly in this space. I am listening to neuroscientists who are saying, like Dr. Joe Dispenza, who I really appreciate the work of, and he is talking about, unless I'm completely off, he is talking about the ways in which we need to also practice absolutely what you're talking about, the right now, be here now, appreciate this right now, and and experience the thought and the emotion that you have that's coming with it, and the synchrony between your heart and your mind. Now, I love that, but the moment is fleeting, <laughs> and so what is the difference? I'm, I'm stuck on this point. What is the difference? from being right now, right here in this moment. Like I can feel, I can feel my clothing on my body and I'm very comfortable and I'm here with you and everything is safe and we're, we're having this conversation and it's wonderful. And I like that. I appreciate this moment right now, but I know (laughs) it also is with curtains open and I can see we're going to finish the hour. We're going to, we're going to talk later. We're going to plan next week. We've got our whole year scheduled and, and so where is that tipping point between be here now in the present moment and, and, then, and then talking about the perspective of, you know, the curtains opening? Because I'll tell you what, <laughs> the only way I get through an elevator ride is, is, is uh, I, I, you know, I used to do it so that I was always anticipating the doors opening because I don't like elevators. But now I get in there and I think, this is fine. And I play a little head game with myself so I don't mind being in a locked box <laughs> for a journey up or down. Where's the tipping point, Richard? Well, one of the things we learn is that when you lack hope, uh, you feel lost. And when you feel lost, what it does is it's like you open the curtains wanting to look for it, but there's still a blind there. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And when I'm when I'm lost, um 
and, and I have found over the years there, there are basically four characteristics to a human that's lost. They like direction and hope demands direction. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I if I lose my direction, it's going to affect what I'm seeing. Right. Uh, a person that's lost, they they open themselves to looking backwards. And you know what? When most people look backwards, they don't see the good of yesterday. Right. They see the wrong. And then that's when a person is lost. That's what happens. They they stare at the wrong. And it, it's interesting, and this is just my belief, and a lot of people disagree with me. Okay. But if I'm staring at the wrongs, my behavior will generally allow me to repeat them. Mm. Because that becomes my plan. Because I think you and I become what we see in our life. Mm-hmm. And then a person that's lost, uh, they have no purpose. You know, isn't that sad? I have to tell you something. I, when I, I, when I deal with people who are lost, you know, the only time I remember having really that question was in adolescence, trying to figure out what path am I going to take in life? And it's not that I felt lost. It was that I was in a, in a position of inquiry. But one of the things that, that I find really troublesome is people who I care deeply about. And they are just um, wide-eyed and, and in a quandary of where, 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 where am I? Where is this? What are we doing? How is this going? And I think to myself, well, wait a second. You know, just wait a minute. I know you've got it in there. I know that there's something percolating in your mind about what you would like to do, what you would like to see with your life, but their emotions are blocking their clear thinking, Richard. Yeah, two things to that. Uh, number one, when a person, when hope is lost, uh, again, I think there are four things that the human emotions experience. Uh, they allow habit to set in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then their fears increase, and as their fears increase, uh, the positive parts of their life diminish, and as the positive parts of their life diminishes, their emotions begin to override or control their decisions. Had this conversation yesterday with a gentleman that I've been working with for a little over a year now through my mentoring program, mm-hmm. and we were talking about, because he, he just flat told me, I feel lost right now. Mm. And so my question back to him was a question to challenge the site plan that he had created. And my question back to him was real simple. What do you feel that you've lost? Mm-hmm. Did he know? Uh, after a little bit, we begin to talk about it. And all of a sudden, he, you know, if you can figure out what you've lost, mm-hmm. then you can also learn how to regain. Right. But that takes the adapting and the adjusting. So, so let me ask you, when he felt lost and you're describing a site plan, was it like a physical site plan of of um, a, like a building or it was like a vision board site plan? 
it was like his life from the inside out. Okay. And, and, and so did he really lose something or he lost his way because of his cognitions, his thought, his thought process? He lost his way. And normally what I find is when people lose their way, it all centers back on something they were doing that they stopped doing. Mm. Something positive they were doing in their life mm-hmm. that kept them focused, yeah. kept them on track, kept right. them, you know, moving. And all of a sudden, they lost that. And when they lost that, they lost the, the synergism. They lost the strength mm-hmm. of what their life was about. Mm-hmm. And so many times, Deb, uh, with people that I've worked with, it happens when the terrain of their life has shifted and they weren't ready for the shifting. Most people do not prepare for the unknown. They don't prepare for it. They prepare for things to remain the same. Yeah, it's hard to prepare for the unknown, isn't it? Yeah, because the unknown is the unknown. Right. You know, but it comes back to the question, what must I do today to have a tomorrow that's better and stronger than what I've had today. You know, it's standing in today, not focusing on tomorrow, but standing in today in your now, looking for what there is in today that will help me uh, be able to prepare. You know, I was talking about this this morning on a call before you and I got on, uh, that in order to keep hope strong, you got to be good at thinking on your feet. Yeah, yeah. And most people, most people can't think on their feet. Yeah. I mean, have you ever done a presentation where, man, you're just into what you're doing, mm-hmm. and you you look out the audience and they're gone because they're not connecting with what you're saying. So you either continue in your plan. Are you adapt and adjust your message? Absolutely. To where they are. And this is what I find with most yeah. speakers. Yeah. They think on their feet. Well. Uh, <laughs> their, their presentation is yeah. their presentation. Yeah. I, no, I cannot do it that way. I cannot do it that way. I'll have an outline, but even with my PowerPoints, there's very few words. Like, there's nothing for people to sit and try to read. Like, a lot of people use the PowerPoint like a, a, like a teleprompter, you know? And they're, and they're reading what it is they're showing to people. I'll, I'll have images, really, to use a PowerPoint to make a powerful point with an icon of some sort and very little in the way of words. So it's really funny. Where did I really learn how to shift in front of an audience? Teaching college students at the university. Because I would go in with an agenda. You know, we had a syllabus to follow. We had, you know, content to cover. And and I had to learn how to get really creative about how to do that. When I was a novice at it, I would go in there. Yeah, and sometimes I'd be standing there and think, oh, my gosh, they're completely not, they're not here. You know, people are talking. And then so when when I got really comfortable in my own skin, knowing that I knew my content and appreciating that I do and they don't, then I just, I would shift all over the place like a chameleon. Okay. You know, all right, so now I'm looking out into your faces out there. It doesn't seem to me like you're following. What's the, what is the query? You know, raise your hand and let me know. Okay, you know, all right, all right. Well, 
how about if we string it together like this? Or how about if you tell me what you understand? And that got me really comfortable with appreciating that the audience is really live up. You know, I, I think one of the worst things that people ever advised as a, to me as a young speaker was just envision that your audience is naked. And I thought, that, that's like the worst thing that you could tell somebody when you're walking up to a group of people. Like, I no, just remember that they're there. They would like for you to say something of interest to their mind and to their heart. So, you know, swing that emotional pendulum back and forth so that they're moving and feeling and experiencing during the time that you're there and pay really close attention. And if you need to switch gears, switch the gears. Don't worry about what's on your agenda. But what does this audience need? You know, I, I'm the opposite of you when it comes to presentation style because I use PowerPoint. And, you know, I, I break things down. Yeah. And um, put what I have inside me because I've spent so much time researching and writing the information myself. Yeah. That every presentation that I do has at least four different directions that it can go. Okay. And so what that PowerPoint is for me is just a mental guide for me. Mm -hmm. That's not set in concrete. I can identify with that. Do you put a lot of print on it though? So your audience is sitting there reading. Yes. But you're not reading exactly what you wrote. Yeah. I will I will show them the point and then I will bring the definition to it or okay. the understanding to there it. There you go. Well, we're not so different. Yeah. My challenge is I always have too much content. <laughs> I can identify with that. Yeah, just like our discussion here on Hope this morning, I have uh thirty two little <laughs> slide pages here in front of Go ahead. You want to run through them? We've got 33 minutes. You could do all of them. No, I don't. Uh, how important do you think hope is to this, to uh, life? Oh, I think it is absolutely as essential as breathing. So is hope a part of breathing? Never thought about that. I mean, because we have different, we have different, ways we breathe. Uh, we breathe in, we breathe out oxygen. Mm-hmm. But don't we also breathe in and breathe out our beliefs? Yeah, we do. Yeah, breathing really sustains us, literally. Mm-hmm. And hope does too, figuratively. Yeah. And, you know, one of the questions that, because one of the new programs I wrote for this year was Strengthen Your Hope. And because I think it's such a fundamental part of keeping yourself together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of the things I looked at was where does hope come from? And I think hope for me comes from four places. Having a strong spiritual core. Mm-hmm. I think it's immensely challenging to have hope if you don't have a strong spiritual core. I mean, but that's just me, and, and I, I'm driven by my theological training, and I'm I'm driven by my belief in God, and I believe that God will never give me more than what I can handle, mm-hmm. and I'm the one that gets in the way <laughs> because yeah. I can get impatient. Yeah, right. 
You know, and 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 that takes us back to the topic that we were talking about on pace. When we when we get impatient, we are not allowing the most natural pace. When we get when we get impatient, there's some sort of angst that is there. You know, whether it's positive or negative, it's an eagerness or it's an anxiety. And really, the idea to be able to sit with it is so important and just allow the pace and trust, have hope, be inspired that the reality of life is that everything's going to work out. You know, people argue with me about this sometimes. How can you possibly say that everything's going to work out? And how can you possibly have faith in God when, you know, bad things are allowed to happen? Well, there are things that happen. There are things that we get presented with. But I look at life as being this puzzle, this puzzle of events, this puzzle of activities, this puzzle that is um, ours to figure out with this beautiful mind and this enormous heart that we have. You think the puzzle pieces are always there? Absolutely. I do. You think sometimes that based on our uh, based upon our foundation uh, that we if we are on the stand of the wrong foundation we can miss the puzzle pieces. Absolutely. Yeah, there are things. There are always things that that we don't see, and I think that this is why prayerfulness and meditative practices are so essential for us every day. Because when we quiet the mind down and we go in and we allow our mind and our heart to connect and we connect with our faith, then things appear for us. You know, in a moment of silence, in a moment of meditative prayer, I see and feel and experience things that I wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. And and this was sort of why I came up with, you know, this concept of where does hope come from? Because I think there are four uh, centerpieces to hope and then you fill in around it and one is that spiritual core and then the other one is consistently looking for the opportunities that create that create improvement every time a human life improves it has hope for something better absolutely but if there's no commitment to improvement then all of a sudden what happens uh, the puzzle pieces they can't put together and I think another central puzzle piece is something you have talked about a lot, and that is uh, the people that are in your life. And yeah. uh, hope, hope demands positive people. Negative people erode hope. Absolutely. And then the fourth puzzle piece is, is that uh, experiences we're having, uh, we can find a positive connection to what we want for our life. Yeah. Um, the the concept of hope today and uh, what it's doing really concerns me because uh, I think with the way that life is being presented today, I I, I think we're taking away people's hope. Through fear. I mean, through everything that's being done right now in fear, I think we're taking away uh, people's hope. Fear can de- fear can erode hope. 
Well, of course it does. Um, and we can be talking about any topic at all. We can be talking about, you know, fear that you can't pay your bills, fear that you're unhealthy and it's going to deteriorate your body and your mind and you're going to die and die painfully. Fear that your relationships are not working and people are going to be leaving you or you're going to be leaving them. And then what, and then what is the question? Uh, you know, there's, there's fear in all pockets and, and there are times when people really um, want to argue that point that you have to acknowledge the fear. Well, there's a number of different ways to deal with anything. There's an infinite number of ways to deal with anything. And, and so in the midst of, um, in the midst of anything and everything that takes place in this life, I think to myself, okay, here's what I've been presented with. That's one paradigm. The way that it's been presented to me is one paradigm. What's another paradigm? Um, you know, like, for instance, let's take healthcare. I don't live in the normative of healthcare that is very traditional. I have a different mindset and a different paradigm. And so when people come to me because they want my help as a medical advocate, as a holistic practitioner, as a doctor of psychology, and I start talking about mind-body medicine and mind-body connection, for some people it's a relief, uh, it's a curiosity. Um, they they want to get into how does that work and feel the influence of it. And for other people it's just absolute uh, hog manure and crockery, and I don't want to hear anything about it. That's horrible. That's your perspective. But you live in fear, and it drives you this way. I look at this and I say strategy. I I I I I don't. I am not willing to open the door for hope. I mean, for fear. Um, you know, it's like it's like a screen door. It's not a closed door because I know that it's there, but. I would like to keep uh, fear at bay so that I can be in my right mind. Because if I allow fear, and there, I mean, I'm a human being. Of course, there's been many times when I have felt fearful about one thing or another. But when I allow it, that's my choice in my mind. That's the story that I'm writing. That's the story that I'm allowing when my, when my mind goes negative with fear. So with everything and anything, if, you, if there's something that you need to be wary about, be wary about it. Come up with a strategy. Well, and I think here too, Deb, um, and I, I was playing with this the other morning. Um, I think fear increases when I live in a world of need. I think I can control fear more when I live in a world of want. Because sometimes when I live in a world of need, I look at what I don't have. Mm-hmm. But when I live in a world of want, I look at what I want to achieve. And I believe that fear is both positive and negative. I think there is a negative side to fear that really focuses on what I've lost. And I think that that creates the negative fear. What mm-hmm. hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. And I think positive fear is based in um, I, I don't want to miss it. 
And fear to me is one of the most um, interesting and difficult words to actually define. Because we look at fear, most people look at fear all from uh, a negative side of it. Okay. And yet there is a positive side, and you were talking about pace. And I think negative fear speeds you up. I think positive fear slows you down. Fear is always going to be a component of life. I just pulled up here. It's so much fun to be on Zoom with more than one uh, computer here. So fear is defined as an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or threat. And and here's interesting. Uh, the phrase that they used to try to explain it further is, quote, he is prey to irrational fears, end quote. And so let me give you an example. I I had, as a as a little kid, always had good dental care, but the dentist scared me. He was just kind of, he was over, he was a, overbearing in every possible way, and I, I just didn't like it. And I, he never drilled on me. I never had any cavities or anything, but I would hear stories about it, and I just, I was kind of afraid of him. Like, I would hear these horror stories about other kids having fillings, you know, drilling and filling and, and braces. And I thought, oh, no, how does that happen? I don't want anything bad to happen. My mom has taken me there. It can't be anything too bad. She wouldn't do that. She wouldn't She wouldn't set me up for something creepy to happen. And But yet I heard these other nightmares, and I thought, I'd, I, I'm trying to be discerning here. So I was afraid of the dentist. So when I grew up and I went to a different dentist, or I had to find another dentist, I was very suspicious walking in. And it was only when I found this fabulous dentist, Dr. Steven Weinstein, and he 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 saw my angst and he said, you know, you don't need nitrous oxide. First of all, you know, it's not real healthy. Uh, it's hard on your respiratory system. I'm not going to hurt you. I won't do any trickery with you. I'll always tell you what I'm going to do. And, you know, we'll numb you up so that you don't have to feel any pain. I really want you to have a healthy mouth. And I thought, huh, okay. All right, well, let's work out hand signals. <laughs> so if I hold up my hands like this, you know, like you're going to stop. So my fear was abated when we had the conversation and he explained things to me. And, it, and, it, and I wasn't walking into the unknown ever. And so now my experience of going to the dentist he actually retired. He told me a year before he retired because he said, I don't want you to be afraid of the new dentist. I'm selling the practice to this young dentist. And, I mean, it's easy. It's comfortable. I've referred a lot of people to him, and everybody's happy with this practice because nobody has to go in there and experience fear. And one of the most horrible things for a dentist is that people are afraid of him. So here's a question for you. Yes, sir. Okay, take a deep breath. <sighs> okay. Is fear a product of today or yesterday? <laughs> Absolutely a product of yesterday. We've learned to be afraid of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the whole thing with the dentist. We learned to be afraid. And there is no fear in today until we steal it from yesterday. There you go. Cheers to that. That's right. So 
Fear can be controlled by what I choose to see as the events of yesterday. Yes. And so much of, I'm going to sneeze, okay? (laughs) (laughs) A big point of, a big, uh, a big understanding of fear is controlling fear is what you associate it with. Yeah, that's right. And this is one of the things that I've always done with people who are struggling with fear. Let's go back and figure out where it came from. Mm-hmm. What created your fear? Like for you, what created your fear of elevators? Oh, I got stuck in one. There you go. Yeah, yeah I knew exactly. <laughs> I never had a problem walking into an elevator, and then I got stuck in one. And we had to, I was with my sister and brother-in-law. We were in a, in a building, in a, in a condominium building. And the, the model unit was up like on the 23rd floor. And we get in the elevator and there's a guy who says he's the elevator operator, but he's drunk. And you don't really realize until they close the doors. <laughs> and the alcohol fragrance permeates every square inch of that chamber and we go, you know, you can't get it started to go up. And I'm thinking, we need to get out of here. This guy's creepy. And then you go up and, and, and the elevator goes up really fast. And then it drops like several floors. And, you know, we're in a panic. And he goes, eh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. And he goes back up again. And it was just horrifying. We had to pry the doors open between floors and climb out. Now, I didn't realize at the time that if the elevator moved, you would lose whatever part of you was lost in the, left in the, in the, the elevator. But my, you know, we all climbed out and we went to the, the unit. I think we were up, we had to go up one more floor. We wouldn't, we wouldn't take the elevator down. We walked down the staircase, which was, by the way, still under construction. So some lights, some no lights, you know, construction material, and it was it was horrifying. And we, you know, your heart is racing. And by the time we got down there, you know, we didn't know was that door going to be locked or you know, it was just every creepy, awful thing. So when I get into an elevator now, I want to know, okay, is there? <laughs> I have to. Do you look at the? Um... Do you look at the inspection report to see when it was last inspected? No, because that really, really takes my breath away. I don't want to set myself up for more because, you know, if you look at those, it's not too often, you know. And, and so I just I just make the assumption, look, I'm in here. It's going to be okay. I've got my phone. I'm gonna, I'll be okay. I'm not. Now I'm getting anxious about it. I'm making all these I memories. These, uh, I, I love these elevators you get into and you look at the spec report and it says, uh, or a copy of this, go to the, the office. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, we don't want to show you here. Oh. All right, let me tell you, my favorite elevator is the one that has a glass wall on it so people can see that you're in there, either in a, you know, a, a, a commercial space or a residence. I really feel a lot better if someone knows I'm in there. Please make note that I'm in here. <laughs> I'm like, help. Yeah. So Apollo 14 spinning around. They're looking back at Earth and they see this sign from Deb. 
We're stuck. We need to get off the elevators because I'm starting to get elevated in my concern about elevators. <clears throat> yeah, think about this. How much of our life is based in hope? I think 100% of life is based in hope for me. Yeah, how many times have you heard, well, I hope this works? Yeah, and, and, and I um, I try not to say that. I I I um I think hope filled. Sometimes when people say I hope this works, it's because they're not really putting everything forward, and they're they have prepared. doubt. They're not prepared. There you go. Hope in that equation. Yeah. Is really the a substitute for the word doubt. Right. That's exactly what I was thinking. You know, to have doubt, we need we need to we need to work. To think contingently about everything, so we don't have doubt. Well, but doubt is, <laughs> doubt is tied to pace. Mm-hmm. The faster I move, the more doubt I'm going to have, because doubt doesn't allow us to do the preparation we need to do. One hundred percent. I'm already starting with negative questions. Right. Yeah, leading yourself down that pathway. So let's. Let's leave our audience in the next 10 minutes with things that are really strategic that every one of us, and you and I included, can use to inspire hope, to experience hope, to create hope, and to have a a plan, a strategy, so that no matter what it is that's happening, you have that belief. My hopes turn into belief. That's one of my strategies. And I use my faith. I actually have a plan here. Oh. To strengthen your hope. Ah. Is that one of your 32 pages? Yeah. All right. Share. There are steps. Okay. Uh, First step is that you have to calm your spirit, which will control your decision-making process. Hmm. Again, if my spirit is not calm, then I'm going to react. I'm not going to respond. And then secondly, uh, the order to your life must become a focal point. Where am I going? How am I going to get there? You know, do I really believe this is the right path for me? And it's back to what you just said. Hope and belief walk together. Mm-hmm. And, if hope and if hope and belief are not together, then what happens is they go their separate way. Mm-hmm. And when hope and belief take different paths, what fills that void is doubt. Mm. And then third, negative must not become what you dwell on. And that's one of the things that concerns me right now is I think everything that's being uh, being uh, dwelt on right now is negative. I think mean, 99% of what's being thrown at us is negative. I mean, look at all the negative in the, that's creating fear about the inauguration tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and then step number four for strengthening hope, tackle the times of uncertainty as a moment, not as forever. That to me is critical. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is going to be the rest of our life. Right. We're going to have to wear masks for the rest of our life. Uh, and you know what's going to be interesting, Deb? I think it's going to be challenging for some people to give up the mask even when we don't have to wear it. 
I do too. I do too. There's a lot of, you know, the thing that, boy, you really hit a compassionate chord for me. Um, the thing that I am really seriously concerned about is exactly that the, the fears that have gotten supplanted into people that um, are robbing them of their joy and of their, their, uh, their ability to move freely with one another. You know, we need one another. We need to breathe fresh air and, and, you know, um, breathe your fresh air in your house, go out for a walk and breathe fresh air outside. And, um, you know, we, we have really been spreading germs across each other for a long time. And so why don't we use this whole experience that we've had as a, as a gigantic lesson in etiquette, you know, if you're sneezing or coughing or you have a fever, isolate yourself until you're better and then come out and, and be considerate. Um, and, and know that the world is a place where believe that the world is a safe place where people want reasonability. Yeah. And that ties into my, my fifth step of my, of my six, uh, refuse to react. Yeah. I mean, every time you react, what you do is you push hope to the side. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, uh, Overcome your fear of the darkness. Uh, get out into the light. Mm-hmm. I, I'm working on a presentation right now. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I got up the other morning. It was in my head, and I'm 99% um, complete with it, entitled uh, Learning to Turn the Light on in Your Life. Uh, because I think so many people right now are living in darkness. Yeah. They're living in doubt. They're living in worry. They're living in uncertainty. They're given into the unknown. Uh, they're depressed. They, they're despaired. Uh, they're lost. We need this message of hope out there. <clears throat> so, people need to hear that there is still sunshine. There is still light. There's still purpose. Absolutely. There's still opportunities to learn and to grow and to improve. Absolutely. You gotta go looking for them. Okay, so let me direct people. One of the things that I absolutely love is I love your series, The Morning Minute. And so I would encourage everybody to go to richardflint.com and and look at how to obtain the morning minute. I get it, and it's Richard Flint greeting me in my email every morning with something that's really beautiful and lovely for me to think about just for a minute. Yeah, and the the morning minute was a God thing. We've been doing it now for twelve years. Doesn't seem possible. Yeah, yeah. Years. Really. But every morning I send you a sixty second video email. Yeah. yeah. Of one of my philosophies of life with every month having a theme. Like the month for January is it's your time. And everything that is there is to give you a mindset to look for opportunity. Yeah. And I mean, I get up every morning. I've written all these, and I still watch it every morning. <laughs> and the, the, one this, the one this morning, because of uh, a challenge I've had in my life, was really uh, apropos for me. I loved and I it. And I thought, hmm, I wrote this, I'm watching it, and I need it. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I do that with my content as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
And, and, and that is a consistent theme because the things that we read about, I mean, the things that we write about are the things that we see needs in others for, and we can't really see the need in others unless we see in ourselves. Yeah, and, and Deb, here's what I'd offer people. If you're not on the morning and you're curious about it, do go to my uh, website, richardflint.com. And yes, uh, the morning minute is an investment. It's $99.95 a year. Mm-hmm. But if you're not sure about it, there's a place you can you can click there or I'll give it to you for 21 days, mm-hmm. no cost. And try it for 21 days. Experience it. And see if it doesn't become a part of your life that allows you to slow your breathing, look forward, and walk out into your day with calmness. You know what I mean? Just interesting questions I get about the morning minute. I had a lady email me the other day, and she asked me, can you see me in the morning? <laughs> and I emailed her back, and I said, yes, and you need to do something with your hair. <laughs> because you end everyone saying, I'll see you in the morning. Yeah, that's I, funny. Coffee that. <laughs> there anything in there? There was when we first started, but I kept spilling it all over. <laughs> so won't let me put anything in the coffee cup, right? Now. That's great. That's great. Yeah, it is. It's but, very sweet. Yeah, try. Go to my website, richardplant.com. Look for the morning minute. It's right there, and there's a place you can click. You can click, and I will. I will let you have it. For 21 days. Yeah, it's really day. beautiful. Now on the screen here, you've got uh, your your email address, which I love that you've done that, and you've got a logo, and I love that you've done that, and you've got the Learning Center, Richard Flint Seminars. So tell people about what the Learning Center is and how do they get into that? Well, the Learning Center is uh, we released on December the fourth. It was my dream for four years. Yeah. For five years. Yeah. And. What it is, people tell me, you have more content than probably anybody I've ever known. Mm-hmm, you do. So the Learning Center is a is a uh, an educational laboratory of all my research. And knowing that people live at different levels, we've divided it into three groups. The undergraduate, which all the courses there are for people who are really searching Mm-hmm. And all of these deal with the things that frustrate us and hold us hostage. Mm-hmm. The graduate level are for people who have stepped into the world of growth but find themselves still struggling. Mm-hmm. And then the postgraduate level is for people who are at a place where their curiosity has turned to implementation. And all the courses there are like PhD courses in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the information is there. And by the way, I would ask people, if you go to my website, if you can see me on here, mm-hmm. and my little logo, uh, can you see the butterfly? In oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I love butterflies. They're spectacular. Because I think butterflies are the result of you breaking out of your, your cocoon. Right. And most people live in a coma. And yeah. so... Uh, it's breaking out of your coma and, and beginning to fly. And the thing I love about a butterfly is just all the color to them. And life is about color. You can't see life in color. You are a mess. <laughs> well, if you can't, if you're really colorblind, there's a pair of glasses you can get. Look it up on the internet and you can recover from all that. 
Richard, it's time for us to say uh, lure. I, I would just rather say bye-bye. <laughs> well, you know, I like a little flair to it. So on behalf of Richard Flint and I, thank you so much for being with us today. God bless you. Have a safe day. We'll see you again in a week. And bear with me for a second here, Richard. <laughs>